Good morning. I need to get some water from my cup. Have you guys seen this cup, by the way? Still selling those, I heard. In two colors, by the way, Herb. White and black. Meets all the needs. Anyhow, I want to begin by apologizing. And my apology is uh, based on what this month is about. So about two months ago, Chris and I were saying, hey, what theme do you want the sermon series to be in January? And I said, oh, I got a great idea for a theme. Let's call it Snowed In. (laughs) Ever since we began this series, the snow has not stopped falling. So I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But somebody did text me, some family. And they said, hey, we heard that this whole theme idea was your idea. Maybe God listens to you. So could you do a series starting after this? And here's the title we would like. The Return of the King. I said, ah. So that's what we're going to call it, The Return of the King. Christ is coming back in March. Get ready. Anyhow, what we're uh, continuing on is the idea is that we are here in this cabin. It's snowing outside. We have a nice fire Warm our hands. Last week, Bob Ford died. It's been great. But so what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to say, okay, here we are as a group of people that are snowed in together. We have to decide, what are we doing here? What are we about? And how do we remain unified to continue on in the future? So we said, really, this series is about two things. We're going to talk about vision. And vision is the end game. It's where we're headed. Because if we all know where we're going, we can stay unified. But it's also about values. Who we are as we get to the destination. So we're going to have four weeks of values and we're going to end on the vision. Last week or two weeks ago, it seems like forever ago, we talked about our first value. So anybody remember what our first value was? Lee, what was our first value? What? Does anybody remember what our first value was? Chris, what was our first value? Teresa, what's our first value? What Man, I am not doing good here. I'm done. It's scripture. Do you guys remember? <laughs> Do you remember that? What is, it? What, what is that? Okay, yes, scripture. So were you guys all asleep that first sermon? It's my voice must be so melodic that you just fall asleep. So he said, value one is this. Here's what we talked about. How do we decide where we're going? We have to hear the voice. We have different voices that have opinions. We can listen to the experts. Do you remember me talking about that? We can listen to me, myself, and I. We can also be listening to the devil. Or we can listen to God. And how has God spoken? He's spoken through Scripture. So our first value is that this is going to determine the direction, the vision, and the values. We need to know this book. Today we're going to talk about the value of the gospel, or why we are here, what we're doing here. And the way I want to kind of introduce this is the church, the word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It means The assembly that has been called out. So in a way you could say in a vast world, you've been called, you've been called, you've been called, 
you've been called, you've been called to join a group, a local body for a purpose. You're the ecclesia, you're the called out one. But what are we doing together? Because God does call us his bride and he calls us his building. Well, when you think about it, a lot of groups are brought together for different reasons. And if that group fails to accomplish the reason it's been put together, either they're going to throw out some members or they've got to rethink through what they're doing. So, for instance, what is the purpose of a corporation like McDonald's? What would you say? Why are all those people brought together? Any ideas? Make money. Excellent. Somebody in the first service said French fries. You're right. So French fries, the product is to make a profit. If the product, doesn't make a, if the product doesn't make a profit, then there's no reason to meet. And if you try to bring a product in that is not bringing a profit, let's get rid of it. So for instance, about 10 years ago, they came up with this product called the McLobster Sandwich. Sounds good, doesn't it? Mm. I think the guy who invented that and introduced it is gone. He's out. No more. Because it wasn't accomplishing the goal of making products that bring profits. That's the whole point of a corporation. Everybody knows that. How about this group? Ah, see? What is, what is the purpose of joining together as a sports team? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, exa why, that's exactly what was said to first service. To beat Ohio. Exactly, because when you beat Ohio, who is the strongest and the best, it brings pride and glory to your state, to your school, to really your group of friends. So really the purpose of a sports team is pride. That's why you do it. That's why you get together. If you stink, we've got to get rid of some people. Like if I say the name Rich Rod, how do you Michigan people feel about Rich Rod? Whoa. I kind of like Rich Rod, to be honest with you. But Rich Rod was a coach that brought Michigan to the cellar for a while. It was not good. So they got rid of him because he was not accomplishing the goal for which they were put together. It's pretty simple. How about this one? Why do a group of little girls get together for sleepovers? What's the purpose? Fun and giggles and laughing and to bring presents to the birthday girl because it's her party and she can cry if she wants to, so it doesn't always have to be. I have, a, I, had a, I have four sisters growing up, and they often have these kind of sleepovers, and I loved, as the youngest brother, terrorizing them, throwing pretzels at them, and just throwing all kind of stuff at them, and they would often get rid of me. Why did they get rid of me? Because I was not helping in the accomplishment of the giggles and prizes and goofy girl stuff, lipstick stuff. Like, that's weird stuff, you know? You get together for a purpose. So the question is, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones, what are we here for? What are we here for? Because i got to tell you, this is a very confusing question. For 23 years of my life, I thought the main purpose of church was to make God happy. If I didn't go, he'd be mad at me. I better go. My grandma would say, you sit down, Shut up, and they don't pass notes to your sister. My dad would go, ah, oh, ma, come on. Take it easy on the guy. So we went to church to make God happy as if God's joy depended on my showing up on Sunday. Is that the point of church? I'm telling you, a lot of people think that's what it is. It's called tradition. 
I better go. Well, why? Because deep down you think God's going to be mad at you. Is that why we're brought together? There's a second reason people think church is more on the political side, more on we need to do something about this broken world. We need to, we need to right all the wrongs. We need to have social justice or any other, and we need to get conservative values back in the United States. We need to fight. We need to help the poor. It's all political activism. As if the church is here to move forward the agendas of man-made systems. Is that why the church is? I'll tell you, a lot of churches think it is. Then you have a group of people that think, I go to church to feel better. Therapeutic reasons. There was a guy named Robert Schuler had the hour of power in a crystal cathedral. And he kind of talked like this. Believe in the power of positive thinking. And positive thinking can make you healthy, wealthy, and why? So we go to church to learn how to have a good life. Is that the point of church? Some people really think it is. And if they don't feel good, if they don't like the music, they're out. They're gone. Some people think church is about a mystical experience. I want to feel God. I want to meet Him there. And they conjure emotions. So they can be vaunted into ecstasy. Is that why we meet? Some people think it is. Or I want to be with my friends. I just like the people. They're just like me, and I want to belong somewhere because I don't belong anywhere. I'm lonely. I'm really lonely. I'm a lonely person. I just want to have friends. That's why some people come. But is that what it's about? So we have to ask this question. What does the Father, value number one, Scripture, what does the Father have to say about why He chose Chose you and you and you and you. He chose us to be together. Does he have a purpose? And we need to be clear. And it's crystal clear. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to risk something. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. And we're going to spend some time in it. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. But I'm going to... I went through every book in the New Testament and I went to what I think is the, what I would say is the thematic verse of each one and I've come up with seven to show you how every book in the New Testament directs us to one thing and you'll see it and it's as clear as crystal. But before we get there, you have to begin Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels, the good news of the coming of this man, Jesus Christ. So those first four books detailed the arrival of the Son of God on earth and told you his miracles, his teachings, and his actions, specifically his death and his resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So starting in the book of Acts, I want you to open up to Acts 1. I'm going to lead you to about seven different books. And I want to show you, I want you to see not what Chris Week says, not what Kent City leadership says, what Scripture says about our purpose. Acts chapter 1, in verse 8. And I'm having you look in there because that's our value, is Scripture. We, um, authority is found in this book. It's the right opinion. 
So Acts 1. So Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth. He gathers his apostles or disciples together, and here's what he says to them. Because the disciples teach us. We are here because of the disciple and apostles teaching. Here's what it says in verse 8, Acts 1. You will receive, meaning you apostles, you disciples, followers of Jesus, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So when Jesus left the earth, he poured out the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and every believer of the Spirit lives in their, their body. I don't want to say heart. He lives in us. I don't know where, but He's in us. The God who created the earth lives in us. He's going to come upon you. And what is the purpose? So you can be my, that means Jesus is saying this, my witnesses. Witnesses is somebody who learned and saw and experienced something and they are sent to go tell people about what they learned and saw and experience. That's why First John says, my eyes have seen, my ears have heard, my hands have touched the word of life. That's a witness. And so are you because each one of you are here because something happened to you. And you're to go and tell about it. And look where you're supposed to go. In Jerusalem, that means your own hometown because that's where they started. Judea, that's the towns around Jerusalem. Samaria, that's the countries around Israel and the ends of the earth. So you are to be like a pebble in a pond. Bloop. You start where you're at. Your influence needs to cascade out. That's what you should be about. So what's the message? Go to Romans, the next book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. Paul is as clear as crystal. Romans 1. Paul begins in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. That means I'm sent to be a witness and set apart for the gospel. So he's part of the ecclesia. He's set apart. It's everything we've been saying. I'm part of the church. And what's he set apart for? The gospel. The good news. What is the good news? Well, starting in verse 10. He promised in the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, the gospel was declared through Scripture in the Old Testament. Verse 3, and it's specifically about a person. His son. Whose son? The father's son. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. So Jesus was a man, 100%, fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies of David's son going to be a king. And then it says, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God. So he's also God. So it's called the incarnation. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, and that person. And then it says, through him, verse 5, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. We are sent to tell everybody and to call them to this person to obey him because he's our Lord. That's the gospel. Now let's continue to go. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's two books to the right. And I want you to look at verses 
11 and then 14 and 15. So he says, this is Paul again writing, he goes, since then, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That means we are serving God in seriousness. Fearing the Lord means this is serious business. We try to persuade. We don't just tell. We persuade. We try to convince people this message we have, you need it. This isn't like a, I'm challenging you to believe. This is like, you better believe this. Why? Because you're going to go to hell. Because you are caught in your sins. Because, March, Jesus is coming again. We are to persuade. And then why are we to persuade? Verse 14. Because Christ's love compels us. Because we, we sh- if we love people, we tell them the truth. Somebody in your love is, that you love in your family has cancer. Do you just say ignore it? That's not love. Because Christ's love compels us. And we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We're convinced this is the only one that did it. He's the one that died for all. No other God did. No other person did. Your good works didn't do it. So that's why you have verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We want people to live for Christ, not because he's going to be mad at you, but because he loves you. Let's now go to um, Galatians 1, 8 through 11. So the stakes are ramped up a bit here. So what I'm showing you is, first of all, we are here together to be witnesses. Second reason we're be witnesses because God's Holy Spirit's in us. Third reason is because Christ's love compels us. Now watch this. This is Galatians 1, 8 through 11. And this is not talked about. I remember when I was first a believer, I heard this verse all the time. I haven't heard this verse in a long time. But look at what verse 8 of Galatians 1 says. Even if we, this is Paul talking, we meaning a very important person in the church, an apostle, a pope, a priest, grandma, even if we or an angel from heaven, that's a vision, a sign, I got a sign from heaven, Ooh. even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be, in the way that the King James says it, anathema. Anathema means eternal condemnation. What? So if somebody preaches something else, uh, they're going to be punished. Paul, you're kind of harsh. No, look at verse 9. He doubles on this. He's doubling down. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching, that's testifying, being a witness, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel, other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. 
The Gospel's very simple. Christ died for you. And when you receive it by faith, you are saved. You add to that Jesus plus something else, it ruins it. Let's go to Colossians 1, 25-29. That's two books over. 125. So Paul writes in verse 25, I become its servant, meaning the church and the gospel servant, by the commission of God to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So I have to be honest, because God commissioned me. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So this mystery... This mystery which has been hidden, you see it. You've been given knowledge into something people have longed to know. So he continues, verse 27, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his, of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know where your riches, everything comes from? It's Christ. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You notice how it's Christ. Everything's about Christ. And in verse 29, Paul says, to this end, this is my vision. This is the end game. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So he's basically saying, I'm giving everything, all of my life, just for a little teeny message. The gospel. Why is the message so important? Because it's like a seed. When it's planted, it grows into a life to make them an oak of righteousness. Let's go to um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Two more books to the right. Actually, three books to the right. Starting in verse 15, 1 Timothy 3 15. And again, I'm making you, I want you to see this. 1 Timothy 3 15. Uh, let's start in the middle. He basically says, I'm writing this so the people ought to know how to conduct themselves in God's household. He's saying, Here's so, I'm writing this church so you know what you should be doing. This is what you should be about which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Here's what we should be about. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken on in glory. That's our message. That's what we should be about. And then the final verse I want you to go to is... Titus 1, 1 to 3, and I'll read it out of the NLT because it has a different flavor. I kind of like it in this. Titus chapter 1, 1 to 3. And thank you for looking in your Bibles because, again, I do it for a purpose. We need to value these books. I was reading the other day like when Jesus was arguing with people and they had all their opinions, the Sadducees and Pharisees. And they were arguing with them. And they're questioning him. And he, the first thing he would say is, he says, you know why you say that? Because you don't know the scriptures. 
You know why you're wrong? Because you haven't read the scriptures. Most opinions do not derive from this, and ours have to be derived from this. So look at Titus chapter 1, 1 through 3. So Paul says, this is a letter from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith. I'm a witness. That's what he's saying. To those God has chosen, that's the church, you and you and you, and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. If you believe this, you get it all. God promised it. Now look at verse 3. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce. Now is the time to reveal this message. We're the ones to do it. It's not to anybody else but us. This is our time to reveal the message. So basically, what is the church to be about? Let's be very clear. I think John clarifies it in John 20, verse 31. We're going to take the rest of our time in John. But John verse 20, verse 31, condenses our vision in a nutshell. And it's beautiful. And it begins like this. These are written, meaning these words in this book are written. And I would even put it like this. We are brought together for the purpose that you and people around you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe in him, you have life. That's it. That's what we need to be about. So then the question is, how then are we to practically do this? And I think John the Baptist gave us a perfect example how we practically do this. And there's three things I want us to learn from this. So go to John chapter 1. He shows you how this act of testifying is supposed to look and what we can expect from it. So this is how we need to act as a church. So it's John 1. In my mind... There's certain passages of Scripture, I think, if you rightly understand them, you'll finally see the world in full color. I think Romans 1, 18 to 32 is so important. I would put this at number two. This, to me, is maybe the second most important verse to really understand what's going on. Here's what it says, starting in verse 8. He himself was not the light. He's talking about John the Baptist. So I'm using John the Baptist as an example for the church. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So there's three things I think the church needs to see. Number one, we must, just like John, bear witness to the light. To me, we're kind of just like him. He was a weird dude. He was dressed in camel hair, lived out in the desert, and ate locusts and wild honey. You are weird. We're all weird. We're all uniquely and wonderfully made. And our job is to prepare the way of the Lord, to be the voice in the wilderness, telling people, He's coming. He's coming. That's what John the Baptist did. And we do this in two ways. The first is that we have to tell the truth. we got to tell the truth. And once you go to Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. This is one of those books or one of these verses, when I first started going into ministry, it scared me. It caused me to pause, to say, I don't know if I want to do this job. And you'll see why in a second. So basically in the Old Testament, you would have priests that would sacrifice animals and they stood between God and the community. Once Jesus became the sacrifice and He went to heaven... God poured His Holy Spirit on us and we now are the priests standing before a broken world in God. We are priests. And this this is why it's important. Now read Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. The lips of a priest, that means you, the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. That means you need to know things. You need to understand them and articulate them. That's what preservation of knowledge is. You hold it as dear and you be ready to share it when people ask. Listen to what it says. Lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord. We are to be witnesses, messengers. And he's the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. So don't be surprised when people ask you questions. That's your purpose. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways but have shown partialities in matters of the law. So if I'm a priest and I'm not living according to this and I'm kind of fudging it a little so people will like me, you're going to be humiliated. So this job we have, carrying the gospel, serious business. But if we go back to John, so we as witnesses are to tell the truth, but also be humble about it, because it says in John 1, we are not that light, We are sent to bear witness to the light. In other words, we don't bring people to a church. Oh, we're the best church in town. We don't bring people to programs. We have programs like nobody else. We got great music. We're not the light. We're sent to bear witness to the light. Our job is to try to communicate the gospel so people will want Jesus. That's what we got to do. That's why sometimes I'll just wear a flannel. 
That's why sometimes we'll sing songs that are more contemporary because that's the language we think people who are lost understand. That's our job. Second thing we're to do is not only be witnesses, but here's what we have to understand. We're going to get resistance. If you go to John 1, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus made the world. The world didn't recognize Him. So Jesus, the Creator of this world, came to this world, and the world didn't want Him. And then verse 11, he came to that which was own. Jesus was Jewish, fulfilled all the Jewish prophecy, was the son of David, was the Messiah. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They crucified him. That should tell us we should expect resistance. People aren't going to be welcoming you all the time with the gospel. Oh, that's great. Why not? I was thinking through this. What is it about the gospel that people don't like? I think there's three things about it. Number one, it exposes filth. John 3.19 says, people love the darkness and don't want to come into the light. When I expose the beauty of Christ and the righteous life he offers, people don't want it because they kind of like their life. I've used this illustration a lot. People's in sin are like roaches. Did you ever turn on a light? And the roaches scatter. My wife and I's first apartment, we had tons of roaches, and I got it cheap, you know. And I, and I told her about it. She said, I don't want to live there. I said, I'll clean it. Don't worry about it. I'll clean it. I pine salt it so much, you know, where it burnt the nose hairs in my nose. And I said, it is clean, Michelle. And we got back after a honeymoon. We, I said, you'll love it. You'll love the kitchen. She turns on the light, and there's more roaches. I'm like, where did those roaches come from? And I figured it out. They, they were in the molding in the refrigerator. They nested in there. So I took my finger and I put it in that molding and they all scampered out. I'm like, ah! ah! They hate the light because they like the darkness. That's why people will resist the gospel. Second reason is because we're just occupied. We're busy. We got things to do like playing Trivia crack on our phones or Clash of the Clans, Candy Crush. We have things to do. <laughs> but I think the third reason, honestly, is because we don't think we're lost. People don't think they're lost. I think the hardest part of the church's job is to convince people they're lost. It's hard to do. Uh, you, you might have heard this illustration. It's sort of like sort of like if I go on an airplane and the stewardess comes up to me and gives me a parachute, puts that parachute, says, here, I've got a parachute for you. You'll love it. I don't want to wear a parachute. It's going to be a long flight. No, 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 no. You'll love this parachute. We'll make you really comfortable. We can blow it up. You can have like a cushion. I don't want a parachute. I'm just fine. But you'll have a, you know, it'll be such a nice time. But then another stewardess will come in and say, Mr. Weeks, um, just to let you know, both of the wings have been shot off by lightning bolts. We are plummeting 10,000 feet a second. You need your parachute. <laughs> I want that parachute. 
We have somehow sold the gospel. If you become a Christian and come to church, you'll love it here. They got couches on the stage. It's great. It's great to be a Christian. It's all kind of joy and happy. Dana's a great guitar. You'll love it. You'll have groups that you can have coffee cakes. Oh, it'll be great. I don't really want that. I can go to the bar. You know the bar's a lot more fun because people don't judge you there. But oh, oh, by the way, did I tell you something that hell's real? Jesus is coming back. And sin is sinfully bad. And Jesus rescued me. And if I believe in him, he gives me life and he's my substitute. Oh. That's our message. And we've lost that because we want to be liked. So we've presented the church as it's a fun ride. When you know Christ, it is, but it's different than that. It's the truth. It's the truth. I don't believe in Jesus because he's fun. I don't necessarily believe in Jesus because he gives me everything I want. In fact, I'm not sure he gives me everything I want until I go to heaven. But I believe in Jesus because he's the truth. So, the final thing is this. Even though people will resist, don't stop persuading. Why? Because of verses 12 and 13. Look at 12 and 13. Yet to all, I love how it says, yet, you know, a lot of people rejected Christ, yet there are some, there are some out there, that's a word yet kind of has that flavor, don't give up hope, because to all who do receive him or did receive him by faith, ah, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God. That means the authority and the power to be His. They're children born not of natural descent, meaning you're not a Christian because of the family you're born into. They're children not of human decision. You're not a Christian because your mom and dad got you baptized as an infant. You're not a Christian because a husband's will, because it's an action of doing good things, tithing, wearing a tie, doing good works. Those aren't why you're a Christian. It's all because of God's work. You're born of God. When I accept the gospel, he impresses upon me the truth of the gospel. When I accept the gospel, I become a child of God forever. So don't stop persuading because there's always hope when you tell somebody the gospel. Somebody might listen, and it's shocking sometimes who's listening. That's why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. This isn't, we, you know, we suggest, we implore you, it's the best thing, come on! I think we lost that. I have to some degree. I used to be a lot more on fire for the gospel. But after years somewhat of, it's hard we need to capture that back. What do we need to be about? The gospel. Here's our covenant. Listen to what our covenant says. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be born again. Born of God. Children of God. That the new birth is a new creation in Christ Jesus. That it is an instantaneous and not a process. You know what that means? Here's what that means. And I'm going to give it to you in the language of Boyd Kaler. 
Do you guys know who Boyd Kaler is? Boyd Kaler goes to our church and he's a lumberman. And he's, Boyd's Boyd. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but Boyd's the kind of guy, he'll bring an acorn into my office and he'll look at me like this. And he'll put that acorn on my desk. He's done this a number of times. Puts that acorn on my desk. And he goes, and he looks at it, and he looks at me like this. How does that work? That's a dead seed. You know that's a dead seed? He says, yeah, Boyd, I knew that. No, 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 no. But listen to me, Chris, listen. I've been trying to figure this out. When I take that dead seed, and I put it in soil, and all the elements are right, there's a spark and when that spark happens, a shoot forms, and give it 20, 30 years, I'm going to be cutting down an 80-foot tree with a width that size from that little acorn. I don't understand it. Can you explain it to me? You're a pastor. Like, boy, I can't explain that to you. When you take the gospel, Jesus Christ came on this earth and he died for me, and he rose from the dead believe in that. All right, I believe in that. I don't understand. I don't understand why. And then all of a sudden, years and years, I'm a different person. How? I don't know. But it's an instantaneous process. And then it works out. That a new birth, one dead in trespasses and sins, is made a partaker of the divine nature and receives eternal life, the free gift of God. That's why we don't talk about works here. You work after you're saved, but you don't work to be saved. Salvation is spelled not D-O, it's spelled D-O-N-E. And then after you D-O-N-E, you D-O. Because you can't help it. That's what the rest says. The free gift of God that the new creation is brought about in a manner above our comprehension. I don't get it. Not by culture, because grandma said, not by character, I'm a good guy. I wear a tie to church. I feed the hungry. No, not by character. Nor by the will of man. I was baptized as a baby. No, sorry. But holy and solely by the power of the Holy Spirit, connection with divine truth. When I believe, I put that acorn in the soil, something happens. So as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel, voluntary, not compelled, that its proper evidence appears in the holy fruits of repentance and faith and newness of life. That's what we're about. And it starts with you. And the question begins like this. Do you have peace with God? Do you know Him? Have you received Him? One of the best ways, like I love this phrase that says in um, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, justified means being made right by faith, we have peace with God. The best way I, I can think about it, before I knew God, I was troubled in spirit. When I go to bed, I would, there was guilt, shame. Once I came to Christ, I could go to bed and I was fine. How about you? 